Welcome to the Legal One podcast, brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training in the state of New Jersey. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we are thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing critical legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other critical stakeholders to positively address the issues in question. And we'll give you more information. We'll give you resources so that you can access online courses and other events and know how to get a greater level of understanding of these issues. So let's get started. And thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to today's episode of the Legal One podcast. My name is David Nash. I'm the director of the Legal One program. In today's episode, we are addressing staff mental health needs. The episode is part of an ongoing series that we have developed on addressing staff mental health needs. This series is made possible by Legal One's partnership with the New Jersey Schools Insurance Group, which represents most school districts in the state of New Jersey, and Arthur J. Gallagher, which has grown to be one of the leading insurance brokerage, risk management, HR, and benefits consulting companies in the world, and works very closely with New Jersey Schools Insurance Group, serving many New Jersey school districts. Of course, we also have a wonderful ongoing partnership with New Jersey PTA. That is uh, something that we prize and is an important part of getting information out to parents, guardians, and everyone involved in our schools. Today's episode is focused on how to know if you or a colleague needs support with your mental health. We're very pleased to have with us Susan Coyle. Sue is now the Middlesex County Traumatic Loss Coalition Coordinator and comes to this work with a tremendous amount of prior experience, having been a teacher, a counselor, a supervisor, and served in many roles that focus on addressing the mental health needs of our students and all of those in the school setting. So before we bring Sue into the conversation, it's important to just review a few basic legal principles regarding mental health and staff members. First, it's important to stress that all staff members have strong protections for the confidentiality of their health information under federal law, under the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. It's also very important to stress that if an employer has some reason to know that an employee may need support with their mental health, but that employer fails to take reasonable steps, and then the employee later does something that could potentially be harmful to others in the workplace, well, now the employer may not be able to impose discipline, and the employer may be the one who has significant liability for failing to take reasonable steps to support the employee when the employer had some reason to know that that employee needed help. And in fact, if an employee directly asks for support, now the employer has a legal obligation to engage in a good faith interactive process and work together with the employee to provide reasonable accommodations if necessary for that employee. So as we're talking about how to support school employees and address their mental health needs, it's important to stress that we do have these strong legal protections in place 
We do have protections uh, that are focused on maintaining the confidentiality of employee health information. Uh, we do have legal principles that come into play where employers need to take reasonable steps to support employees. And we certainly want to make sure that employers and employees understand that there is this requirement for a good faith process for employers to work with the employees and if necessary, provide reasonable accommodations. So with that basic background, Sue, I would like to bring you into this conversation. Even for school staff members who are skilled at working with students and addressing their mental health needs, it can often be very difficult for those same staff members to recognize their own needs. What are some of the signs that someone should look for in themselves or in a colleague that indicate that that person may be struggling with their mental health? I'm so glad you asked that question, David, because it's such an important one. Well, you can start by allowing yourself to take stock. You know, prior to March 2020, for most of us, life was pretty normal, safe and secure. And then along came March 2020 and educators, along with the rest of the world, had our sense of safety and normalcy just shattered. And ever since, we've been on an ongoing treadmill of change, uncertainty, while taking on all of the huge challenges of caring for our students under very challenging circumstances. And there's a lot of focus on the impact of the pandemic on our young people, and there should be. But as the school year ramps up, your lives are about to get busier and more demanding, and it's going to be more important than ever to take time to focus on your own wellness. My work as an educator and mental health professional and, and the research has taught me two important things. When we take care of ourselves, we're better caregivers. And it's our responsibility to our students and ourselves to take time to focus on our own well-being. So just like we may want to prevent our students from suffering adverse effects, we can and should develop practices to monitor our own social emotional health and seek ways to support our colleagues. There are many ways you can do this through your own personal prevention plan, and you'll also be able to notice any red flags in colleagues and know when to reach out. You can start by taking stock in these five key areas and reflect on how life has changed. That would be physical health, your emotional health, psychological health, spiritual health, and your work life. So these would be goals to focus on being purposeful about taking stock in an ongoing way of those three key areas. Some of the things to be aware of and ask yourself is, how am I managing my emotions? Am I making good decisions? Have there been any changes in the way I do that? And managing good boundaries between yourself and others, such as not taking on too much responsibility or having difficulty leaving work at the end of the day or problems with relationships. Other things that people can self-monitor for or be aware of if you are starting to have concerns with, about a colleague, is there an increased amount of irritability? Or for self, would it be, are you feeling more angry than usual or more irritable than usual? Isolation is another red flag. You know, have I lost connections to friends, loved ones, and colleagues? Or has my colleague lost connection to me? Increased cynicism, things like increased somatic complaints like headaches and stomach aches and other physical ailments, feeling more fatigued than ever, detachment, and avoiding work responsibilities, 
So those are thing, all things to be important of. And then another key area, David, that's important to be aware of and mindful of the effects of something called compassion fatigue or secondary traumatic stress. Secondary trauma is the physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion experienced by those who care for traumatized individuals, know about their trauma, and want to alleviate their suffering. This is common in all of the helping professions, and educators are no exception. Those who work with students and their families who've experienced traumas can and do take on similar symptoms. As educators, we're prone to being empathetic and maybe repeatedly exposed to devastating stories of some of our students that we can't fix. And that wears on folks, that wears on us all. I'm sure everyone can relate to that. So being aware of the risk factors, some of the things that start to occur for somebody that may be experiencing the impact of secondary traumatic stress or compassion fatigue would be, a real focus on measuring their own self-worth by how much you have helped others, having unrealistic expectations for yourself and others, perfectionism, and a very critical self-view of the work that you do, fearing about being judged by others as being weak if you're not working at breakneck speed to help others, not being able to receive or give emotional support, having a history of your own stressful life events that have gone unaddressed, or being repeatedly exposed to the cruelty of others, increased awareness of frequency of the profound harm of abuse and neglect that we know that some of our students may be experiencing, and also just a general inability to say no and letting work spill over into all the other parts of your personal life. So we must juggle so many things with home, work, friends, and in addition to the demands of caring for students. So some of the other things to be aware of or risk factors would be signs of unrealistic expectations for yourself and others. So some more severe signs to look for would be frequent crying or anger, you know, really severe and frequent headaches, stomach aches, tension headaches, memory problems, difficulty with focusing and memory, isolating and not engaging in pleasurable activities. Those would all be things to be looking out for either in yourself or with a colleague. There's lots more to talk about the other side of that, the positive self-care aspects, and we want to expand on that idea of thinking about your own compassion care plan. And there'll be more about that coming up in the next podcast, strategies to support your social and emotional well-being. So thank you for that, Sue. Uh, it's important for us to be attuned to all of those potential red flags, but it also can be very awkward or even scary for you as a school staff member to try and approach a colleague if you do think that colleague might need mental health support. So how might one staff member consider approaching another in such a difficult and potentially awkward situation? Well, I'm glad you asked that question also, David. Many people ask me that because many of us have found ourselves in those circumstances and it's not an easy thing to do. So just like you plan when you plan to work with students, be planful about it. Making sure that you find the right place and circumstance, like set the stage so that you can be successful. Allow time, you know, make sure that it's not something you're squeezing in between one class and the next, or, you know, when you know somebody's gonna be heading out the door. 
and then finding a nice private place where you're not likely to be interrupted and it's quiet. Start with acknowledging how much you think of that individual and care about them, but then move on to sharing what you've noticed and being concrete about that. People can't argue what they've actually seen. You could say things like, haven't been yourself lately. I've noticed, you know, outgoing like you used to be and, you know, you just sit off by yourself all the time in the faculty room or you've seemed really down a lot lately and that's not like you, you know, so practice some of the phrases that you might say and the things that you're going to share that you notice. Practice will help you get your confidence to approach someone that you care about. You could also say something like, the last time we spoke, you said something that really worried me. You said, I'm not going to be around much longer. What did you mean by that? So sometimes using direct quotes of what something said and then asking, getting them talking more about that would be helpful. And then the other key thing is, is when you start the conversation, sit back and listen. You'll learn a lot about what really is going on and maybe offset any assumptions that you had and maybe learn some new things and might learn that the situation is far worse than you thought or maybe not as bad as you thought. But listening and allowing a person to talk will give you a better sense of what's really going on with them and how serious it is. You know, just giving them your full attention. And then when you've determined some sense of what's going on, offer help. Again, plan in advance. Know about some great hotlines or know about where there's going to be help available and have some idea of what you could be offering up as a next step for that person. Do you want to go with me to the employee assistance program? Or how about if you and I find a, a private place and we call a hotline that could help us find a place for you to get help? Or talk with that person about maybe engaging a family member or another trusted colleague or friend or finding out if there's just someone in the family that could be a support for that person. So offering help, having all of that information ready and available. And really, I do believe engaging others in helping that person as well. Even going so far as, as and I've, I've actually done this, is offered to take a colleague to a crisis center or an emergency room who was really in need of immediate assistance. So to sum up, David, I would say, and then just continue to offer messages of hope. You know, I know things seem really bad right now, but we're going to do everything we can to help you get to the kind of help that you need. And then stay in touch with that person and support them when they do come back from whatever kind of help that they get. And also, Another last thing I would like to offer up is, if possible, and you have enough of a relationship with the family of that person, is offer them support as well, because they're going to need that. And providing that kind of sense of help and support is going to make everyone feel less isolated and more hopeful. So thank you for that, Sue. Of course, one of the reasons that these conversations can be so difficult is that we're not always sure where they're going to go. There has been a significant increase in extreme behaviors linked to mental health needs, including emergency room visits for substance overdose, um, an increase in suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, suicide completions. What are some of the signs to look for that you or a colleague might be experiencing that type of a crisis situation and need immediate help? Well, you're right about that, David. Throughout my career, I've known a number of colleagues in those situations. 
The hopeful news here is when a caring colleague or colleagues are able to intervene and facilitate a person getting help, I've seen many positive outcomes in the long term. So I'd like people to hang on to that <laughs> and knowing that. One statistic points out that 90% of individuals who attempted suicide and survived were able to get help and go on and not attempt again and lead happy, productive lives after they've gotten the right kind of treatment that they needed. So being mindful and knowing what some of the really more serious signs may be, and also be mindful of the fact that it could be and often is a combination of indicators or, or signs or symptoms. So when someone is ignoring really important responsibilities, like maybe not showing up to their class, not grading things, not showing up to important parent meetings, those kinds of things, excessive absenteeism, or someone who's getting into increased conflicts in the workplace or engaging in secretive behaviors. And these are things that I have witnessed firsthand, like changes in personal hygiene or irritability and mood swings or acute mood changes. And then also if you're aware that that person is um, experiencing stressful life events, like perhaps financial difficulties, you know, or the loss of a loved one. And then also if you're really concerned about somebody's emotional well-being, knowing whether or not that they might have access to lethal means like a gun. And then also if someone is saying direct verbal statements, like if I lose my job, I'm gonna kill myself, or I wish I were dead. People have been known to be that overt about it, and we need to really pay attention. It catches people off guard, and it's hard to imagine that somebody could really mean that, but it's vital to pay attention to that and take it seriously. There's other things like indirect clues, like when someone just said, I'm just so tired of life. I just don't see any point anymore. My family would be better off without me, or won't be around much longer. Again, those are the things that you need to pay attention to, sit with that person and start to get to the heart of the matter of what's going on with them. Other things to be on the lookout for would be if you know of someone who has had previous suicide attempts or hospitalizations for severe depression. If you know somebody's bought a gun, you know, taken that actual step, or if you know someone that has suffered in the past with depression, moodiness, and then you see moodiness and hopeful, hopelessness. Or if you know or see that someone has relapsed after a period of recovery. And then another thing that is often seen is when someone is struggling with these severe symptoms is unexplained anger, aggression, or irritability, and then a reaction to an upset that is very disproportionate to the event. Many of us have maybe been in a situation where something just went from zero to 60 with a colleague, or you've witnessed that. Those are all red flags that there's something else going on with the mental health of that person. And then also being, you know, we're often aware of colleagues, being all the caring folks that we are, of situational clues. Like if you know that somebody is potentially about to lose a job or is worried about losing their job, or if they've had the loss of a major relationship. And you know, with the state of, well, things have been in the last year and a half, we know that there's been a whole lot more loss and that's, there's no exception to those that work in school communities. And if you do know that there's been the death of a loved one. So I would say being mindful of all those things and being ready to you know, step in and employ those other strategies that we talked about, about how to approach someone to get them the help that they need.
So that's all very helpful. And these are certainly important steps that any individual employee can think about in trying to help a colleague. But let's also talk about the systems that should be in place, the protocols that should be in place so that we're not scrambling in the moment to try to figure out how to deal with an emergency situation. So what are some of the tips that perhaps you could give to our school administrators to put protocols in place to make sure that staff members' needs are addressed, including those emergent needs? Well, working with your, your HR person, and if you have an employee assistance program, making sure that your protocols and your policies about what to do if there is someone who is known to be, say, under the influence during the workday, or if someone is starting to potentially show the signs of, of having an increased difficulty with a mental health issue that's causing them to not be able to maintain their responsibilities working within the school setting. I think it's important that well before anything happens in the moment that a school principal is educating your staff that these things exist and bringing in some experts from an employee assistance program and being mindful of making sure that you're providing hopeful information about self-care. You know, you could have people listen to the next podcasts about self-care. So doing things on both ends, how do you address it when something is going awry for someone, um, but then also making sure that you're doing everything you can to communicate the message to those in your school community as a school leader that you realize the importance of their mental health and well-being and you want to be supportive of that. And then follow up with action. Bring in you know, programs that promote and teach mindfulness. Create places and times you know, when staff can, can join together and do a yoga class and those kind of things. So there's always someone in the school community that's willing to partner with their administrators to do good, healthy things for staff. So summing it up, making sure that people know what the protocols are. And, and who to go to and what things are confidential and when they have to break confidentiality. Like, for instance, just like we would with kids in the case of when you're really concerned that someone might be headed towards harming themselves. So as you have been uh, working through these questions, Sue, one of the things that I notice over and over again is how hopeful you are. And, and I think it is really important to stress what a difference our actions can make in helping ourselves and our colleagues, even as we are struggling through a global pandemic and so many challenging world events. Uh, the sorts of things that we're talking about can make a real difference. It's not inevitable that we have to have the, the, um, the worst outcomes in so many of these situations. Thank you, David. Thank you for stressing that. I am hopeful. I have spent over 40 years working with educators and there's a reason for that. I love working with people who are caring, proactive people, you know, who care about their students and their colleagues. So, and I've seen evidence of wonderful resiliency among the many people in my coalition in Middlesex County and throughout the people I've been doing training with across the state. So I am hopeful. I think we're all going to be okay. So I want to thank you, Sue, for your wonderful insights, for uh, the great tools that you've been sharing um, to help our staff members support each other and support themselves as we move forward. Thanks so much for having me, David. I'm so passionate about the importance of keeping a focus on the needs of the adults as we enter into this new school year. So thanks for having me.
For those who are interested in more information on these topics, we do encourage you to visit our website at www.njpsa.org slash legal1nj. We also want to encourage you to look for information available through our great partners, including the New Jersey Schools Insurance Group at www.njsig.org, Arthur J. Gallagher at www.ajg.com, and New Jersey PTA at www.njpta.org. And I want to thank our listeners for the incredible work that all of you are doing each day in our schools. As you're doing so much to support our students, it's so important for you to take the time to support yourselves and each other as we work through these challenging times. Thank you, be safe, be well, and we look forward to having you on the next episode of the Legal One podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.